From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Happy New Year. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this Tuesday on this Tuesday edition. To my friends here on this side of the aisle, I would just say this. The differences we may have, the differences between Joyce and Jordan or Biggs and Bacon, they pale in comparison to the differences between us and the left, which now unfortunately controls the other party. So we had better, we had better come together and fight for these key things, these three things. That's, that's what the people want us to do. That was Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, the founding chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, on the House floor earlier today, nominating California Congressman Kevin McCarthy for the second round of voting for the Speaker of the House of Representatives. It has not happened in 100 years. The 118th Congress unable to select a speaker after three rounds of voting. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill from Texas Congressman Pat Fallon in just a moment. And most of the reporting and commentating suggests this is a political conflict between conservative and not-so-conservative Republicans. But, you know, that totally misses the significance of this moment and the opportunity it presents. And we're going to talk about that with former Georgia Congressman Jody Heiss, now a member of the FRC team. And... I'm not running a popularity contest. (laughs) My job is to help preserve and protect the health of the American public. And everything I've done in that regard has been for that purpose. That was uh, Mr. Science, a.k.a. Dr. Tony Fauci, who retired from his position as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases on December 31st. Well, as the dust settles from his tumultuous tenure as director, will those who oversee public health be able to restore public confidence? What will it take? We're going to talk about that with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University. The word for today comes from Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. You know, this is of great importance as we look at where we are today as a society. The prevailing culture's denial of God's sovereignty rests upon denying him as creator. If the reality of God as the creator is established in the hearts and minds of the people, with that comes an understanding of order and the purpose of life. Over 150 years after Darwin developed his theory of evolution, despite the theory being filled with more holes than a piece of Swiss cheese, it is still taught as though it were fact. And it holds that life is not by design, but by chance. And without God, so is the future. To be a part of our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Let me remind you, uh, tonight we will have a special edition of Pray, Vote, Stand at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. With all that's unfolding on Capitol Hill, it's yet another reason we need to pray. Join us at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org. The 118th Congress kicked off today in our nation's capital with Republicans now in control of the House of Representatives. Now, last week, House Republicans announced an ambitious pro-family agenda with a focus on IRS funding, energy production, immigration, crime, and the right to life. But, but, first, Congress must choose a new speaker. And with the third round of voting just concluding, the House has not reached an agreement 
How long could this continue? Well, joining us, I believe we're going to have joining us by phone from just outside the House chamber is Texas Congressman Pat Fowler, who is uh, who represents the fourth district of the Lone Star State. Congressman, are you with us? I am, buddy. How are you? Hey, uh, we're doing good. Thanks so much for stepping off the floor to talk with us. So we just finished three rounds of voting. It moves now to a fourth. Thanks, Jody. When we'll does that occur? Uh, okay, Tony. It'll happen probably. They're going to have. They're officially tallying the roll call vote, and I would say within five to fifteen minutes they'll announce that, and then there will be nominations once again. And they will go through the process that we just did three times for a, a fourth cycle. Now, this last go-round, and I wasn't keeping the, the, the tally sheet names and numbers. I was just looking at the numbers. But the first two rounds, there were 19 votes, uh, Republican votes against Kevin McCarthy. This time it was 20 in this third round. Are, are, are we losing ground in terms of gaining a position of unity? That uh, was one person, so I, I think that was somewhat of an anomaly. But I think it's really important, Tony, for your listeners, because now I have good Republicans in our district kind of on both sides of this issue. So I just wanted to kind of share with people some perspective and, and facts. So Kevin McCarthy, for the last two years, was fighting you know, Nancy Pelosi along with the rest of us. He was the minority leader, and he helped raise, a, I mean, it's a whopping half a billion dollars for Republican candidates. He was in 47 different states. So anyway... We And we earn the majority. It's a small one, but we earn the majority. And we have dramatically improved the House rules. Some of the more digestible and easy to understand ones are no bill will be considered for 72 hours once it's posted. So you get 72 hours to read the bill, not three days that they can manipulate down to 24 and a half hours, but 72 real hours. We've decentralized control of the steering committee, which uh, the steering committee selects what committees members get on. But here's the most important part. Any five members in the GOP can do what's called a call on the chair, which means they can remove. It's like no confidence vote for speaker. They can do it at any time, any time. So I don't understand what's happening now, because if Kevin McCarthy were to not live up to conservative standards, then any five GOP members can do a call on the chair. All the Democrats will vote to remove him, plus those five. He's no longer speaker or whoever it was. So I don't understand why we're going through this now, to be honest. You know, I've had Kevin McCarthy on the program. Um, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, um, Kevin's a friend, worked with him on a number of things. And, and this is not, as I made, you, I don't think you heard my opening comments here. This is not, uh, I think, as it's being mischaracterized as a battle between conservative and not so conservative members. It's not that. It is the process, I think, as you just laid out some of the changes that Kevin has agreed to. This is a process of trying to correct where the House has gone off track in recent years by the changing of the rules, by consolidating power with very few. The effort here, I think, is trying to get the House back to truly the people's House. Yes, and and bills have to go through committee, which is why we have committees in the first place. Nancy Pelosi ruled with an iron authoritarian fist from her office. She was writing major pieces of legislation, spending literally, Tony, trillions of dollars without input from even her rank-and-file Democratic members. So we don't vote like that. The, right. the, 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 the socialist robots on the other side are continuing to vote 212, 212, 212 for Hakeem Jeffries, we all think, for ourselves. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when you have Jim Jordan 
getting 19 votes, and he's not even voting for himself. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene. You have Ronnie Jackson, myself, strong, proven conservatives voting for Kevin McCarthy. It's not ideological. It's just more practical at this point. Well, and, and as you, you pointed out, conservatives do think for themselves. That's part of our challenge, but it's what makes us uh, strong in that we can think for ourselves and we can work toward consensus. So with, with that, Congressman Fallon, how long before you think the House reaches consensus? Tony, in, in all candor, I think that this is going to go on all night until they just uh, adjourn for the night. I don't think we're going to get anywhere. Uh, obviously, I, I, I kind of Hope, hope and pray for the best, but prepare for the worst. And I think that we go into tomorrow. Beyond that, I don't know how long we go, but we need to get sworn in so we can do the business of the people. And I want to fight socialism. That's what I came to D.C. to yeah. do. Well, and you're doing a great job of it. And uh, we certainly do respect you and your credentials as a conservative, without question. Uh, Congressman Pat Fallon, thanks so much for t- stepping off the floor to talk with us. Thanks, Tony. Anytime. God bless you and Happy New Year. All right. Happy New Year to you as well. Congressman Pat Fallon of Texas's 4th Congressional District. And as I said, this is not what many pundits are saying is that this is conservatives trying to wrestle control from the from the, the moderates. The the reality is, and I've watched this over the last 20 years and, you know, FRC action, our political arm, has helped facilitate this to some degree. We've seen a more conservative Congress take shape. The Freedom Caucus, I don't talk about this often, but was actually birthed in my conference room, the first meeting. Um, We've got friends throughout Congress, and in fact, they're all, almost all, conservative. We have a a totally pro-life conference. But the issue here is the process and it's gotten off track, and you've got some that are working hard to bring it back to where it should be. And they're, they're making progress. It's painful, but they're making progress. Now, uh, joining me now to, uh, to talk about this and the upcoming agenda of the 118th Congress, former Georgia Congressman Jody Heiss, now a part of the FRC team. He's joined the Family Research Council as of today as a senior advisor to the president, which would be me. And uh, we're pleased to have him on the FRC team. Jody, welcome to the program and welcome to the team. Well, Tony, I can't tell you how honored I am to be a part of the FRC team. Uh, These are exciting days and Happy New Year to you and uh, all our viewers and listeners right now. Well, let's jump right into this. Uh, Jody, you heard my comments that, you know, this is not about a a political conflict between conservatives and those who are not conservative. It really is about trying to correct a system that has gotten out of whack. And you've got many of the Freedom Caucus guys who came, like you did, to Washington to make a difference, but they found when they got here their hands were tied by the rules and the processes that were in place. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you get really tired of hitting your head up against the wall when you go to Washington to try to make a difference, only to find out that it's virtually impossible to move the needle in the existing environment in Washington, D.C. Look, everyone knows Washington is broken. And in order to make it right, there has to be some changes. And some of those changes are in the rules. Uh, Look, we we have not been allowed to make an amendment on the floor, for example, uh, in uh, what, six or seven years. 
uh, almost the entire time since I've been in Congress, we, we've not even been able to offer an amendment. And when people hear that, they think that's nuts. And it is nuts. But that is the type of thing that helps Washington be as broken as it is. And there are many people who look at Kevin McCarthy as part of the problem. And so this is, um, it's an ugly process that we're going through right now, but a necessary one. And I would just encourage people to hold back. Don't panic. This is part of the process. It's healthy for us to have these debates and we will end up with a speaker. Yeah, I think it's very healthy. I, I think when things just are cookie cutter and they go into place, sit down, shut up and do this, it is bad for our republic. We need to have these debates. We need to have these discussions. And already, I would argue progress has been made with the concessions that uh, have been extracted from Kevin McCarthy if he were to go on to be speaker. I think that's in doubt, given where we are right now in the process. But we're going to talk about that. We're up against a break. Jody Heiss, and we're going to come back on the other side of the break. We'll continue our conversation about the selection of a speaker, where that stands, where it's going, and then also the Republicans, the majority leader, who is Steve, Steve Scalise, put out last week the GOP agenda. That's pretty impressive. And this is what they plan on doing in the first two weeks. We're going to talk about that next here as well. And again, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, as this continues, we're going to be praying. So we, enjoy, we invite you to join us for Pray, Vote, Stand tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch after this. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how his word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. It's a new year, and we have a new Congress. The 118th Congress began today, but we don't have a new speaker. Well, joining me now to uh, continue our conversation is Jody Heiss, former congressman from the state of Georgia, served four terms. Now he is a special advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council. So, Jody, this process, uh, and I'm told, and I'm sure you're communicating with some of the members as I am, uh, they really can't leave the floor because of a procedural motion that could cause them to uh, to recess. So they're sticking to the floor. It looks like they're going into the fourth round of voting here momentarily. Um, how do you think this is going to end? Yeah, that's a really great question, Tony. I, I don't know how this is going to end. I'm hearing some discussion that there may be a motion to adjourn uh, and just part uh, temporarily and get into a room and have some discussion, which I think also is healthy. At some point, that is going to have to happen because right now uh, they're at a stalemate. They, they, it isn't going absolutely nowhere to resolve the problems. And so they're going to need at some point to get away and to discuss it, work through some issues and determine whether or not Kevin McCarthy has any chance of getting 218 votes or not. And if not, then the conference is going to need to move on. Who Who is going to be next? And so this could take a, it, no question, it's going to take a long time, uh, and I have no idea what, what this is going to end up looking like. But uh, it, I do know that when all is said and done, we will have a Speaker of the House, we will move forward, and the Republicans are going to be able to move forward with the, uh, the agenda to uh, restore our country to some common sense policies. And I actually think the process will be better in better condition as a result of this. I think you will see rules have already been changed, uh, proposals to the rules that won't actually be formally adopted until we have a speaker. But I think the process is going to be much better off because we use the process. So I, I think this is a healthy process. And as you said, people don't need to get all worked up about it just because it hadn't happened in 100 years. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed that have been broken in that time period. But I want to move on to get your thoughts on the Republican agenda. Once a speaker is uh, selected, the Republicans are ready to move with some legislation that's already gone through the process. It's never gotten votes on the floor under Nancy Pelosi, but they're ready to move that forward. Some of those measures, uh, one of them is the Family and Small Business Taxpayer Protection Act, which rescinds tens of billions of dollars 
that were allocated to the IRS to hire 87,000 new agents. We've got the Strategic Production Response Act, which uh, these are a lot of things we've talked about on this program. This would prohibit these non-emergency drawdowns of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which this administration has done to compensate for their failed energy policies. And there's a number of pro-life measures. What, what do you? Uh, what's your take on the proposed agenda for the first two weeks? Yeah, you know, the, the primarily what what uh, type of legislation is uh, going to be moving forward with the Republicans in charge is just common sense legislation. Why in the world would we, uh, in the midst of an economy that's suffering with inflation uh, and and uh, a, a workforce that's uh, that's suffering? Uh, the the uh, supply chain is hurting. The best thing we can do is cut taxes. The backbone of our economy is small businesses and help them generate uh, the the economy. That's common sense. And so, so many of issues, the energy issues that are being proposed, likewise, uh, securing the border. Uh, Scalise spoke about that just a little while ago on the floor. Uh, there are so many issues, Tony, that this current administration seems to have just drugged the American people through the mud on uh, everything from crime to economic issues to energy to military to moral issues across the board, as you mentioned, uh, issues with life. And these things are going to be a top priority for the Republican Party. And for that reason, I'm excited for them to be able to get over this hurdle uh, when they will uh, with the speaker issue. And let's move on to the work that the American people sent the Republicans there to do. Jody, one of the measures that sticks out uh, is the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which members, and you were a part of this, went to the floor multiple times simply to get a vote on this. Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats blocked it every time. This is one of the uh, the 10 bills that will get a vote on the House floor in the first two weeks of this GOP uh, majority. This tells me once again, and, and, and even though it's a slim majority, it's not the red wave that people anticipated, but it does show the stark contrast between the parties and the fact that elections have consequences. Uh, they most certainly do. Elections have consequences. And this may not have been the red wave, but what we still have nonetheless is a Republican agenda. We have a red agenda that has won the day, and that agenda will move forward as soon as we get uh, beyond this speaker deal. And look, when, when that happens, Tony, it's going to be a breath of fresh air to the American people. Now, granted, the bills that pass the House are still going to have to make it through the Senate and all just the typical process that's involved in going from one chamber right. to the other. But nonetheless, we are going to have a breath of fresh air as common sense good legislation once again begins moving through the house address that for just a moment we just got two minutes left but the, the fact that someone say well yeah okay so you passed it through the house but you got chuck schumer in the senate they're going to block it even if it were to get through you've got president biden but as you said it provides a contrast and i believe it sets the stage for a true choice for americans in 2024 it absolutely does and uh, look, the, the American people don't, I, one of the things that I hear a lot, and I'm sure you hear it as well, uh, people complain that they can't see any difference between Republicans and Democrats. Well, I'm here to tell you there is a vast difference in the platforms of these two parties. And when you have a Republican Party now that is beginning to be able to put forth legislation that 
highlights the differences between the two parties. Uh, just as you said, I believe it's going to be uh, enormously enlightening to the American people and that they will see a contrast, the likes of which uh, consist of just common sense, but also impactful legislation that actually makes a difference from everything from our economy to uh, moral issues, spiritual issues, military across the board. People will see that there is a stark contrast between the two. And not, not to uh, mention the fact that it encourages states to be bolder in their conservative approach as well. Uh, Jody Heiss, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, again, welcome to the FRC team. Can't tell you the honor and the privilege it is to be part of FC, FRC, Tony. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, former Congressman Jody Heiss, now a part of the Family Research Council. Coming up, Dr. Anthony Fauci retired last week with more than 50 years working for the government. Stanford University professor Dr. Jay Bhattacharya Are you joins a university me student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Saturday marked Dr. Anthony Fauci's final day as the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, an agency with a $6 billion annual budget. Once praised for his role as the nation's top COVID doctor, the former White House chief medical advisor now faces increased scrutiny for his handling of the response to the COVID-19 virus. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He's a professor of medicine at Stanford University. is one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which advocated for alternative approaches to COVID-19 and was criticized by Dr. Fauci himself and was also taken off of uh, Twitter. And he's back with us and Twitter. Dr. Bhattacharya, welcome. Nice to be here. 
All right. Um, so let me just ask you this question first. How do you view the legacy of Dr. Fauci? I mean, it's it's mixed. He's he's served for 38 years as the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, and it, over that time, he's led uh, the agency into some very important advances, uh, including in HIV and a number of other diseases. Uh, on the other hand, I think his his management of the COVID pandemic has been an utter disaster. He instead of seeking uh, the the advice of other doctors outside, he decided that he himself knew best what to do, that he himself was the science, and that anyone that contradicted him was, was ipso facto contra, you know, contradicting science itself. And, and he locked the American uh, people into a path of, lo- of disastrous lockdowns that have harmed children, that have harmed the poor, that have harmed the working class. Uh, he, he seemed utterly blind to these harms um, and persisted in, these, in this sort of uh, this strategy of suppression long past the time it was clear that it had failed. Um, I think that that people are going to look back on these last three years, uh, in some ways, as as a as, as essentially like a, a, a undoing whatever good he may have done during his tenure at, at uh, the NIAID. Um, I, I think would, uh, it's. I would also argue that he's harmed public health from a standpoint of shaking confidence of the public in the public health arena. What will it take to reestablish that trust from the American people? I mean, I completely agree with you about that. Um, I think, uh, he, for instance, early on, he talked about masks as, as, you know, they don't work, he said. And then he then he said, oh, no, they do work, but I was lying to you. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, in fact, they, they never actually worked. Um, over and over again, he overstated the, 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 the vaccine's efficacy against stopping prevent, uh, preventing disease. Uh, he pushed very hard for, for vaccine passports. I think new leadership is absolutely needed. And this new leadership needs to repudiate the past leadership. They need to explicitly say, look, this is uh, that that tremendous mistakes. Tony Fauci and some of the other leaders of public health made tremendous mistakes during the pandemic harming people. That has to be acknowledged by the new leaders, uh, the the leadership, uh, before any possibility of trust being restored. And the new leadership has to be humble. It can't have a leader that says, look, I am the science. That kind of attitude has no place in public health or science. So, Dr. Bhattacharya, was this science that was politicized? Is that part of the problem here, that politics entered into this and decisions were made based upon politics and not the science? I mean, I think that's certainly true, for instance, for school openings. Um, The CDC worked very closely with the the teachers unions, for instance, to keep schools closed, even after the time, long past the time when any of the scientific uh, scientific evidence suggested it was worthwhile. Uh, you know, schools in, in Europe were opening a, in 2021, and American schools, especially in blue areas, stayed closed. Uh, that was politicization. But it wasn't just politics. It was closed-mindedness and hubris. This idea that uh, that he didn't need, he and other public health leaders did not need to listen to outside critics at all. In fact, so much so that it was that they worked to suppress uh, any discussion and criticism of their policies on social media. They worked with big media to to to, to essentially lock out any uh, idea that there was uh, opposition, legitimate opposition to their ideas. They used their power. They abused their power to create an illusion of consensus among scientists that didn't actually exist. Um, well, and, and, I think that- and, and an example of that is after you participated in the Great Barrington Declaration, Francis Collins, the former director of the NIH, emailed Dr. Fauci saying they needed, quote, a devastating takedown of you. Now, this doesn't sound like something we should be pursuing in science of silencing those who have 
differing viewpoints as we should be reaching consensus, I would think, as scientists. Yeah, I mean, I think the key thing there was that you had Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, writing to Tony Fauci, calling for a devastating published takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration. What was missing was actual substantive disagreement. It was just, oh, we are wrong. You must take them down, destroy them, destroy their reputations, destroy their, their these, these ideas. Don't let these dangerous ideas filter out into the, into the world and let the world know that there are scientists that disagree with us. That is not a scientific, uh, that, that, in fact, that's a, that's a misuse of their power, a deep misuse of the power of the, these scientific agencies. And, you know, they, can, they control the minds of scientists because they control the budgets of scientists. Uh, I, uh, a professor at Stanford University, if I don't get the tenure at Stanford unless I have a NIH grant, um, and a lot of scientists stayed silent as a consequence of it. It was a deep right. misuse of their power, a conflict of interest. Uh, Dr. Bhattacharya, we're up against a, a break, and I know you, you are, uh, looks like you're ready to take off. Um, can you stick around for one more question? Sure. Okay. Two-minute break. We're going to come back because there's supposed to be a release of the Twitter files this week on Dr. Fauci. And, of course, you are right in the middle of that because you were basically squelched on Twitter. And I, I want to get your take on that, if you'll stick with us for just a, a couple of minutes. All right. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya sticks with us. I hope you will as well. On the other side of the break, I'm going to ask him that question. And then we're going to move on to uh, the Center for Disease Control wants to help teachers become better allies for what? LGBTQ indoctrination. That's right. The CDC, that's what they're focused on. We're going to talk about that with Meg Kilgannon after we finish with uh, Dr. Bhattacharya. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Washington Watch, good to have you with us. I am Tony Perkins, the website, TonyPerkins.com. My guest, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, Stanford University Professor of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Bhattacharya, thanks for sticking around. Um, I want to move to this topic of the Twitter files. You've been following that with great interest, uh, I'm sure, because you were specifically on the list of people whose accounts were throttled or shadow banned by Twitter. We now understand that uh, kind of the latest uh, dump we're going to get of the Twitter files from Elon Musk is going to be the Fauci files. What might we expect in those files? So uh, I'm part of a lawsuit that, uh, that's been brought by the Missouri and uh, Louisiana Attorney General's Office against the Biden administration, along with the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Uh, what we found in that lawsuit is that a dozen federal agencies were sending instructions to uh, big big tech, essentially about like what to what to what to censor. In some, many cases, who to censor. I don't think we'll see an email from Tony Fauci to Twitter saying, you know, block Jay. I think what we're likely to see is communication from the government to Twitter about uh, the content of what should be what should be suppressed and who should be suppressed online. Um, including uh, in, including accounts that were vehemently opposed to lockdown, that, that were throttled as a consequence of this, I think, government action. I think Twitter, in many ways, was a was not acting on its own to suppress this debate. This was a conscious action by government agencies to try to suppress this uh, uh, this COVID debate in the name of suppressing misinformation. When in fact, often the government was the biggest source of misinformation during the pandemic on a what? full variety of topics. That's a First Amendment violation. Absolutely. It is absolutely a First Amendment violation. Um, and this lawsuit that, that we brought, uh, the, the, the Missouri and Louisiana Attorney General's uh, offices have brought, I think it's going to show that to the American people. Uh, where uh, we actually, through that lawsuit, we, we had a deposition of Tony Fauci. We have a deposition upcoming of Jennifer Saki, the former communications director of the White House. Um, we already have, a, a, as I said, emails from a do- dozen federal agencies regular communication with big tech censoring uh, American free speech rights. Uh, the thing about things is most important, Tony, is, is that it's not just that they censored, that it's a violation of rights. That's important. But that that, that, that had consequences. Your kids right. were blocked from going to school. Businesses closed. Churches, mosques, synagogues closed as a consequence of these decisions. And people died as a consequence of that, of that suppression information. 
And it wasn't just suppressing, you know, as they tried to make people believe it was just the kind of the radical folks that were out there on the fringe that they just didn't want to scare people. I mean, you have, like yourself, academics, professionals who are just engaging in the dialogue and the discussion of trying to get to real life solutions that would work. And they silence them. This is dangerous, extremely dangerous, not just for the First Amendment, which is extremely troubling, but just from the standpoint of the overall health of the American people when it comes to issues like COVID. And you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the, that's the thing is like free speech, it's of course important in the abstract, but it's even more important during a pandemic. When there's, you have a time of deep uncertainty about, about science, about, uh, about COVID, about infectious disease policy, you need as many minds as possible talking together, trying to figure out what the right truth is. Uh, you had this hubris on the side of the government, on the side of Tony Fauci saying, oh, I have the solution. I know what it is, so much so that I can stop other people from talking because everyone else talking is dangerous, not me. That itself was dangerous, and we have to make sure that it never happens again. We put strains on the American government. You are absolutely right, and we look forward to the revelations coming forth and to the success of these lawsuits. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Always great to talk with you. Thank you. It's going to be very interesting, and we're going to be watching that very, very closely. You know, Elon Musk, you know, a libertarian, not a real conservative guy, but I am so grateful for what he's doing on uh, with Twitter. In fact, I'm back on Twitter, at T. Perkins, if you want to follow me there. Okay, last week, as I mentioned, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention republished what it called a self-assessment tool that pushes teachers and administrators and school health staff to advocate advocate for LGBT causes in the schools. In other words, instead of concerning itself with disease control and prevention, maybe even test scores, uh, the schools are being encouraged by the CDC to indoctrinate children in their radical sexual ideology. Now, two questions. What does this have to do with learning? And what does it have to do with public health? Joining me now to discuss this is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies at the Family Research Council and a former member of the Trump Administration's Department of Education. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to see you. Well, good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Okay. Um, (laughs) This is yet more from the Biden administration, the CDC, with a conglomerate of outside groups, including the Southern Poverty Law Center and all of these who advocate leftist radical ideas, are now under the umbrella of the CDC in trying to force this agenda. Of course, it's voluntary, but force this agenda on schools. Tell us about it. Well, the amazing thing that relates to your previous guest, actually, Tony, is that this was published in October of 2020. And the fact that that happened in the middle of a pandemic in when we were we're waiting for Operation Warp Speed to help us get through uh, that horrible time, right? They did have time at the CDC because government is so huge and their money is so plentiful to publish this document in October of 2020 while schools were still closed um, to to make sure that teachers were able to assess themselves. This is an assessment tool for teachers, for principals, for regular people 
to figure out how inclusive they're being of the marginalized LGBT community. And so that was a priority even in October of 2020. So there was this, again, this is a, a, um, a self-assessment tool, and I'm reading right. uh, from a printout from the website, and I, and I quote, school administrators are LGBT inclusive, inclusive self-assessment tool can help you quickly gauge um, how inclusive you are at your school. And then, but it says here, it says, see your score today and learn ways to increase uh, inclusivity. Now, so you take this and you get a readout. Uh, and the right. readout is either you are um, you, you get an A, to, a B, or a C, right? right? Committed to change. A B is beginning to break through. An A is awesome ally. So my question, Meg, is, so is this why we're failing in math and science scores? Is that we're focused as a, a government on pushing schools to assess their scores on how well they're doing in terms of LGBTQ propaganda? I, I think that is a huge part of the problem. We've been focused for too long on fixing children instead of educating children. And children go to school wanting to learn. Uh, and and it seems like education bureaucrats are at school wanting to change children. They're wanting to change families. They're wanting to indoctrinate people into a worldview that isn't the worldview that many students are walking in with. Now, this is something that it's it's interesting. I think the timing of this this came out during the holidays. It was a regurgitation of, as you said, something that was put out uh, October twenty twenty. But we have a new kind of uh, a, a, a kind of a new breed of school board members now. With the these uh, conservatives have been parents who have been elected to school boards across the country. This is something they should be aware of and should be pushing back on. I totally agree with that. I mean, some of the some of the questions in this are are really disturbing, Tony. One in particular that um, that wanted the um, the the teacher to use neutral terms like partner instead of boyfriend or girlfriend to describe students' romantic relationships instead of making assumptions. Why is any teacher needing to assess the romantic relationship of a student? Uh, we, we, that's not a priority for students to have romantic relationships. The priority is for students to have relationships with knowledge and to right. learn things that are important to become a productive citizen in a global economy. Um, so it's strange to me that that the this this test would assessment would encourage teachers to um, to focus on this area of a student's life. It's disturbing. The other now, questions that were involved here um, begged made one wonder if the parents' influence on children was a concern at all. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mention parents being informed of any of these uh, decisions, whether or not the, a child uses to use a pronoun that's inconsistent uh, with their uh, sex, their biological sex, or they want to change their name. Uh, parents are not included here, at least not in the publication. 
Now, again, I, I want to say this is voluntary, but we know how those voluntary things work. I mean, could we ultimately see that a school's test results uh, on whether or not they're inclusive to the LGBT community, could that not somehow surface elsewhere when it comes to grants going to a school? Well, it, it could, and, and more likely it, this could be abused by a very ideological administrator who would assess a teacher poorly and adjust assignments given that teacher or that person in the school system, what kind of work they're allowed to do, the level of interaction that they have with students could be uh, impacted based on their, their poor performance, quote-unquote, on an assessment like this. It is, so, it is described as a self-assessment, right? But we all know that things can be abused in the, these situations so and manipulated saying, into something um, much more devious. Those, those leftists who happen to be in to kind of dominate the public school system could use this to harass a, a teacher who does not want to play along with the, this whole thing when it comes to pronouns and everything else. They could use this as, as a tool from the federal government to put leverage on that, on that teacher or that faculty member. I, I, I can't hear you. My mic is out. I'm sorry. No. Uh, my earpiece is out. So uh, can, can, you can't hear me now? Maybe I can do sign language. Uh, my concern is that a lot of these things are voluntary no, totally in their origins. Oh, yeah, we're not going to just, you know, we're just trying to help these things along. But as, as Meg pointed out, you will have these overly aggressive leftists in the process who will use this to harass teachers who don't want to play along. And so what the CDC says that we have to do this. This is where we need the school board members to um, be aware of this, ask questions about it, and refuse to participate. If it is voluntary, why are we doing it? And I think that's the questions that school board members, a lot of this, this new wave of conservative school board members who, have, uh, who were elected in this last election should be asking these questions and should absolutely refuse to allow these to come into their school districts has nothing to do with public health, has nothing to do with education, should not be in our schools. All right, I think, Meg, do we have you back? Can you hear me? Yes, yes, All right, good. I can. All right, so we got a couple minutes left. Let me ask you this question. Who are the actors in this? I made reference to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Who, who are all the leftist uh, organizers that the CDC, by the way, says, now we don't embrace and endorse everything that's here. We're just promoting it. Uh, but we don't embrace, we don't uh, endorse it. Who are some of these organizations, and what are they pushing? It's quite a list, Tony. SPLC, GLAD, Glisten, the Human Rights Campaign, the National Association of School Nurses, Society for Adolescent Health. I mean, this is this is the part of the problem that has parents so frustrated with our educational system and in some cases with our healthcare system is that it is ideologically captured by groups that have a political agenda. They're advancing queer theory at the expense of students' health and at the expense of their education, to be sure. 
And this this is simply not a sustainable situation, and it's why so many parents are going to school board meetings and complaining about the books that they find in the library, books that have been recommended by groups like the ones on this list that helped inform this CDC document. Um, and, and until we have a system that respects the wishes of parents, respects the dignity of the human person, and values education, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to see academic performance improve in the school system in the greatest nation on earth. Uh, Meg, final question very quickly. How can school board members, parents, and others find out whether or not their schools are using these CDC guidelines? You should check your school website to see if there's a link to this document. You could do a FOIA request to your school system asking if this document has been sent to the educators in your school system. And um, it's a great time for you to think about running for school board. And you can go to frcaction.org slash schools to find out more information about how to run for school board. All right, Meg Kilgannon, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, there's more information there at that website as well, even about uh, FOIA requests. All right, let me remind you, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll have a special edition of Pray, Vote, Stand as we pray through and get an update on what is happening on Capitol Hill with the selection of a new speaker for the 118th Congress. That's 8 p.m. Central, 8, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken a stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.